We are in part 16 of our King series. If you're brand new, you're thinking, part 16? I just got here. We are two-thirds of our way through a series this year called the King series. Now, the year of the king is actually our whole yearly theme. And the reason why we do that is every year we do a theme to kind of dial in what books we're going to study of the Bible and focus our teaching time. So we've done years of discipleship and years of community and years of this and years of that. This is the year of the king because we believe everything comes down to kings and kingdoms. What king are you following and what kingdom are you building? If the answer to that is I kind of do my own thing, we have our answer. You are the king of your life, and whatever kingdom you're building is your kingdom. Now, what we're going to propose to you is that it is much healthier and wiser to have King Jesus as your king and build his kingdom. It is when he is in his rightful place that we can actually open up and become who we were really built to be. If you want to find out the real you, the actual designed best you, it's found in Jesus's leading of your life. And so following his guidance, absolute allegiance to him is the only way to live. So we're going to consistently talk about that. But to make the point, we wanted to go back into history, a couple thousand years, two, three thousand years into what? Israel's history and study their kings. They went through a whole period where they had kings, the monarchy period. The nation had split into two because they had given up God as their king, adopted an earthly king, which If there's a human being running your life, whether it's you or not, it's not going to go super well. Just letting you know. They don't have a wide enough scope to know how to run your life and to run your afterlife. That's just not what people know, yeah? So we need someone higher than a human being to be running our lives. All right. But during that monarchy period, when they gave up God and chose man to be their leader... Things went very poorly and the nation split into two. The north hated the south, the south hated the north. They both had separate kings and separate kingdoms. What we want to do is go back in time, read about the success and failure to learn from their mistakes, right? And so we're going to make everything very, very applicable to today as we go through this message, right? Now, I do want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank with this thought. There is a fallacy of the and when it comes to kings. Here's what I mean. Most of us have this attitude. Yeah, I totally know about God, I'm into God, and I do my own thing. When it comes to kings, there is no and. You can only serve one at a time. Jesus got into this very specifically. He said, you cannot serve two masters, right? Reading out of Matthew 6, 24, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And he gave an example. You cannot serve both God and money. Why? Because they're going to clash. They do not have the same agenda. They do not have the same outcome. So at some point when they collide, you'll find out who's the real boss. Let's say, for example, money is your focus Money will demand that you work into workaholism. Why? Because there's always more money to be made. But let's say God whispers to you and says, hey, you know what? Your family really matters. Your walk with me matters more than your bank account. You now have a decision to make. 
Whichever direction you go, you have now made the answer to what king you're following. If you choose to continue to do the workaholism, you have determined money is my king. If you make the determination for a healthier lifestyle, something else is your king. Does that make sense? So it's all about kings and kingdoms. But here's the other problem. Jesus said this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? In other words, if you say you follow a king, you actually have to follow that king. You can't just have lip service. Yeah, yeah, I'm really into God, I'm, I'm a Christian. And then your lifestyle does not back that up. Either you are or you're not. And we wanna play the and. I am a Christian and I do all kinds of sketchy, scary stuff, right? I am a follower of Christ and I kind of play on the dark side. You know what I mean? We kind of have this weird kind of everything is kind of mixed together as if that's cool. Yeah, but no, 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 I'm totally into God. Are you? I mean, I'm wrestling with this in my own life. Like this is real life stuff to stress about. Why? Jesus said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. If you're not living it, it may not be legit. That's the concern, yeah? We can't just talk it. We have to be it. Christianity is not something that you add on and do. It's an identity of who you are, right? This is very, very important. Now, why am I saying all this? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you and on your app is this. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. Now, we're going to be learning about a king. Uh, we've been studying in this series that we have, we've been studying good kings, bad kings, and what? Complicated kings. I love the complicated ones, right? There's a few good ones. There's a ton of bad ones. But I like studying the complicated. Why? Because it feels like us. We are so complicated, right? We love the idea that oh, I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy, everyone else is the bad guy, I'm the good guy. Hold on, that is not true. We are complicated. We are a mixture of monster and hero, right? The question is, who's emerging out of you? God's intention is that he built you to be his hero changing the world. He's trying to bring that out of you. But man, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of stuff in this life that's pulling at you. There's a lot of things that seem very, very tempting, and it will make you more and more of a monster. So what is emerging out of you? Is God's intention emerging out of you? Or is something else emerging out of you? The king that we're going to study today, King Amaziah, man, he is super complicated. Right Now, I would like you to turn to the beginning of a story with me in your Bible to 2 Chronicles 25.1. 2 Chronicles 25.1. If you don't know where that is, no, neither does anyone else. All right. Take your Bible open in the middle and go to the left. All right. You're going to find 2 Chronicles. It follows what? 1 Chronicles. Come on, guys. We can do this. Right? It's right there in the title. Okay. If you can't find it, the Bible under the seat in front of you is 376. 376 is the page number. You can turn there real fast. But I want to highlight one last thing before we get into it. Do you know why I teach the way that I do? The way that I teach is that I read through the Bible with you. Like, for example, I'm like, hey, can you turn there? Can you turn there? A lot of, it's much easier if we just put it on the screen, 
right? Like we just put the, the verse up on the screen. The problem is you don't have a screen at home that's just going to pop up the verses that you want to read is you actually have to open up the book. So first of all, I have you look at the book with me, but why do I go through it? It's much easier and actually way more fun for me to tell you the story because I can just add stuff into it and you have no idea, right? <laughs> so why do I go through and read part of the story and then I paraphrase part and I read part? What is the point of us having to go through it line by line together? Here's why. I'm not just teaching you I'm training you, and I'm training you to do it for yourself. Because here's the interesting thing. Unless you're my wife, you probably don't have a senior pastor at home, <laughs> right? So I'm not going to be following you around going, hey, you know what the Bible says? You know what the Bible says? You know what the Bible You can do everything I can do. You have all the same intelligence I have. You have all the same resources I have. It's merely a manner of mindset. So what I'm trying to train is every week when we do it over and over and over again, you're going, oh, he pulled that out of there. He pulled that out of there. Oh, that became obvious. You're going to start doing it on instinct. The minute you open up the Bible, you're going to start reading through and go, oh, I wonder why they said this. I wonder why they said that. All my sermons are designed on asking the question, why? Why is that in there? Why did that happen? What's going on? When you can answer that, it brings out all the points that I'm preaching on. You absolutely can do that all the time at home, and I'm just trying to get you in repetition, right? So it's more than teaching, it's training as well. I want a very Bible literate family and Bridgeway, right? So at all times, we maybe even could not only have our own devotions, we may be able to teach others and encourage other people, amen? Amen. All right, cool. Well, let's get into this. Second Chronicles 25.1 begins like this. Amaziah was 25 years old when he began to reign as king. And he reigned 29 years in the capital city of Jerusalem, which is in the south. Go to verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. That's key. As soon as the royal power was firmly his, he killed his servants who had assassinated the king, his father. But he didn't put their children to death, according to what is written in the law, in the book of Moses, in Deuteronomy, where the Lord commanded, fathers shall not die because of their children, nor children die because of their fathers, but each one will die for his own sin. All right, this is how it kicks off. Let me give you the background. Uh, remember, Israel is split north and south. In the north, there's a guy named Joash, not a great guy. In the south, we have Amaziah. Amaziah starts out really good, and you're going to find out he ends really bad. The intriguing thing about that, same thing with his dad. His dad started out super awesome as long as he was under the leadership of good spiritual leadership. The minute he got out of that, boom, he took a dive. What's that pattern all about? Well, we're going to talk about that. But if you want to talk about the main problem, what causes kings to be complicated? Usually it's all found in verse 2. We just read it. What is it? And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. If we are half-hearted, we are unstable. That's the bottom line. Let me ask you some basic questions. Why would he do the right things, but not with a whole heart? What's the benefit of doing the right things at all? 
The nation wasn't really following the Lord, so it wasn't like a tremendous pressure. Why do good stuff if you're not going to do it with a whole heart? Practically, here's your answer. Because it works for you. You guys, doing the right thing actually works out really well for you. If you're a jerk all the time, you don't have friends. Just remember that. There's a bunch of stuff that you do not because you really are that person. You're doing it because that's how you play the game. Think of all the people that you are nice to, but you don't really like. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. All the times that you are patient in a line when you don't feel patient. Yeah, because you can't just be whatever. So you realize playing it good, playing it nice, playing it right works well for you. But here's my problem with all that. How much time are we spending looking good versus being good? Y'all, we are in one of the strongest eras of all of history that is about appearance. Everything is put on online. What's the, what picture are you putting on? You're putting on the one that you got up in the morning and your hair's all jacked? Nope. You're putting the one that it took you about an hour and a half to get ready. That's the one that's on there, right? Everything plastered out there for people to see is the best version of you. And so everyone else is trying to compete with this alleged best version, airbrushed version of you. Y'all following me? Praise the Lord for filters. Okay, okay, good. Now, but if we spend all of our time on looking good, are we really good or are we just good at playing it? Because it will get people off your back as long as you're good. When you guys walk in here, y'all look good. I'm going to tell you that. I get to look out and see really amazing people. I mean, not only do you physically look good, but you look like you got things together. You got smiles on your face. You're like into the music. You're listening to what I have to say. And it just seems like your life is dialed. But is that really you? Wouldn't it be better if we spent more time being good so we could live authentically and transparent rather than always worrying about our PR? Jesus got pretty ticked off at one particular group of people. They were called the Pharisees. They did everything on the outside perfect. They were excellent at PR. But he called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you look like a super beautiful gravestone. Inside you're dead. There's nothing going on in there. You're not legit. You're not real. You're just playing the game. Now you're doing it because that's how everyone's always done it. But do you understand that this facade on the outside is not what God is looking at? God's looking at the heart. Your motivation on why you do things really matters in Christianity. The Bible always talks about do it with a deep heart. Do it with a real heart. Do it with an authentic heart. Do it with the right motives. If we're so worried about what everybody else thinks of us, we're not taking enough time to work on what really matters. Mm. You know, the Bible says there's two accounts of this guy's story. One is in 2 Chronicles, one's in 2 Kings. And it also mentions that when he was king, he did a lot of things right, but he did not remove the high places, right? What does that mean? It means all the other places of worship to the other gods. So he allowed in his nation an and, totally into God and I'm totally into this God. But remember, there is no such thing as an and when it comes to a king or it comes to a God. Why would he leave them there? I bet you anything he knew it was going to stir up a whole bunch of problems if he did that. He didn't want to deal with the grief. And so what? He said, that's not my problem. 
Do you do that? Do I do that? Like God lays something on our heart and we see something that's wrong and then we're like, yeah, that's not my problem. And we just go on about our life. But what if it is your problem? What if God's whispering to you? Let me give you an example. Let's say at work, you're like, dang, someone needs to start a Bible study around here. Why do you think that came into your mind? Well, that's not my problem. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Nobody said you had to be. Are you a Christian? Here's what's interesting. If you attend here, you probably have more Bible training than a lot of people. You're probably more equipped than you think you are because we're doing this all the time. Maybe the Holy Spirit is whispering to you and saying, you know what? You may not be a pastor, but you're still salt and light. Maybe you need to start the Bible study at your school. Maybe you need to start the Bible study at your work. Maybe you need to, and and not just automatically check it off and go, that's not my problem. Before we mark something off, we do need to check in with a boss. Yeah? That's the point of having a king. Hey, Lord, am I just making this stuff up? Like, is that just popping my head or was that you? You still need to pray through it. Now, you may dismiss it afterwards and go, yep, that was totally me. All right. But at least you checked in. I think that's super key. All right, let's move on. Verse 5. Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah. That's the south. That's his crew. And he set them by the father's houses under commanders of thousands and hundreds for all of his two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. He mustered those 20 years old and upward and found that they were 300,000 choice men fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. Now, this dude's getting ready for war, so I don't know his motivation. But I do know this. It is hard to organize a nation. This guy organizes by thousands and hundreds. Do you know how much paperwork that is? Do you know how much time you got to write down and go, wait, who's responsible for what and who and all that? I mean, you have, what, millions of people, and he's organizing them all by age and category. That is very organized. And remember, this guy got born into being king. He didn't go to king college. He didn't get a certificate in kinging. Dude, he just got born that way. He could be a total moron, but he was going to be king. But this guy had a gift. He had an organization, administration gift. I bet you anything, he probably didn't think of it as a gift. Probably seemed pretty natural to him, just like it does to you. Let's talk about spiritual gifts for a moment. When the Bible talks about spiritual gifts or abilities or talents, the Bible does not give you an exhaustive list. It's only samples and examples. So what, how has he gifted you? Yeah, I don't have any gifts. Here's what's funny. There are two types of personalities in this room. There are personalities of people that are very optimistic about themselves. And they're like, spiritual gifts, I have 16. (laughs) And then there's the other half that is like, spiritual gifts, nope, God totally missed me. I got none. Okay, what's the reality? 16 dude probably has seven. And zero dude probably has seven. So here's my point. When a gift is supernaturally built into you, it feels very natural. You're probably not going to track on it. But I'll tell you what, to everyone that doesn't have it, it does not feel natural at all. Let me give you an example. I have a, uh, a friend. Her name is Joy Fusen. She is one of the senior leaders, deans in a local college over their math department. If you are so good at math, you can not only teach it at a college level, but you teach the teachers of the college level, you're pretty phenomenal at math. 
Every time I talk to her about whatever, it's normal to her. She's always been good at math. It just makes sense to her. Okay, I can tell you 90% of us in this room don't have that gift, right? No way. But it doesn't seem very flashy, doesn't feel very spiritual. But do you understand that is a gift from God? That it, please don't short God on his cool stuff he's built into you. You're like, yeah, well, that's not really a gift. Why do you keep saying that? I don't have a bunch of stuff that you have. The reason God built it into you is our generation needed it right now. Right, here's something interesting. Do you know that there's a spiritual gift listed in the Bible of administration? You're not even going to think that. You just naturally think in terms of systems and organization and linear. You walk into your closet and you know where stuff goes. You need to know a lot of us don't. Right? Most of us are called men. Right? But to you, it's natural. When you walk into the kitchen, there's different drawers for different items, right? Magical. The, the point is, is that whatever it is, whatever you're good at, whatever is natural to you, you're like, well, I'm not really good at anything. No, no, no. It feels so natural, you don't think you're good at it. Let me, let me blow your mind. Do you see what I do for a living? What do I do? Come on, man. I'm talking to a thousand people at one time. Do you know that this is just me? This is not, I did not train for this. This is something that just comes to me natural. Did I have to hone it? Did I have to work on it to make it better? Did I have to fix a lot of messed up stuff? Yeah, but the very premise of me talking to you and sharing God's word is just how it goes. If you don't have that gift, that sounds really interesting and different. To me, it's just life. All I'm trying to say is you have a bunch of that stuff too. It just doesn't feel fancy. This stuff to me doesn't feel fancy. It just feels like every day. So I just want to encourage you, please let God get some praise and credit for some incredible stuff that he's built into you. And do not shortchange yourself. Amen? All right, cool. All right, now let's move on. Verse 6. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from the north. Did I mention that the north hates the south and the south hates the north? He just hired a bunch of mercenaries from his enemy. How's that going to work out? Probably not well. He hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. I don't know how much that is, but if you can pay 100,000 men enough money to put their life on the line, it's probably a good amount of cash. Yeah? But a man of God came to him, a prophet, and he said, O king, don't let the army of the north go with you. The Lord is not with them. But go, act, be strong on your own for the battle. Why would you suppose that God would cast you down before the enemy? For God has the power to help or to cast down. And Amaziah the king said to the man of God, But what do I do about all the money I just spent? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than that. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from the north to go home again, and they became very angry and returned home in fierce anger. Okay, why are they so mad? Dude, they disrupted their whole lives. Yeah, they got the money, but they were going to get the spoils of war as well. They felt mistreated, so now they're super ticked off, and that's going to be a problem. But we got to give this king credit right off the bat. 
God was able to change his plans. Could God change your plans? Because here's what's interesting. You sat down at the coffee shop and you were gonna try to get some work done, but God had a divine appointment where you interacted with somebody else and now you ended up needing to talk to them. Are you going to what, switch gears and talk to them or are you gonna ignore them and just keep doing what you're doing? Y'all, there's personalities in this room where you're very spontaneous. You love change. As a matter of fact, you're praying for a divine appointment to stop you because work's boring, <laughs> right? Then there's some of you that are so scheduled that the idea of switching at the last minute and not getting it done freaks you out. Here's what I'm asking. Who's the king of your life? Who gets to call the shots? If God comes in and says, we're not doing this anymore, we're doing this, will you follow? It costs this guy a lot. You're going to find out how much it cost him. What do I mean? He's going to go off to war. You know what happens when he's gone? All those men that he sent home, they raid his territory while it's unprotected, kill 3,000 of his people, and steal a ton of his stuff. That's what happens when he made that decision. He knew it wasn't going to go well, and now he had to make a decision. Yes, is there benefits to doing it God's way? Yeah, he said God can make up for what you're going to lose. But there's also a lot of cost and ramifications for doing what's right, yeah? If you're a Christian, you know that. Man, I feel like as a Christian leader, that's all I do is I try to make the right decision and there's ramifications. There's always a problem with it. When I'm dealing with so many opinions, every, I can never make everybody happy at the same time. So I do this and this group gets mad and I do this and this group gets mad. It's just kind of how it goes. But my job is to do what is right regardless of complication. And even though that is true, here's what I want to focus on on this guy. He shouldn't have been in the situation in the first place. I bet you anything he's blaming God. Really, God? Awesome. So I just spent, what, a hundred, somebody calculated this out and it was in the millions. I just spent millions of dollars out of our national budget and you just made me, what, chalk that up to a loss and I got to switch over. Nice. Why is it so hard to follow you, Lord? You always need me to make the right decision. Here's the deal. It may be hard to follow the Lord, but it's a lot harder when we keep getting ourselves into jams of no-win situations. You all following me? Let me give you a, a scenario. Now, this is hypothetical, but it's very realistic. A woman comes to me. Hey, pastor, I need your advice on something. Uh, yes, ma'am, what's going on? She's a young mom. She has three kids under the age of 12. Her youngest is three. She comes to me and she says, Pastor, I think I need to break up with my boyfriend. Oh, really? Why is that? You know, he is borderline abusive and I'm watching a pattern develop and he is getting more and more aggressive and angry and hurtful and I can absolutely see it. He has already crossed the line numerous times and I need to call it. Now, of course, as a pastor, I'm gonna be like, yep, that dude's gotta go, right? She said, here's my problem. We live together. We've lived together since we first got together. We've been together for two years. My youngest child is three. That's not the, the little girl's dad, but two-thirds of her life, that's been her dad. He lives with us. He's in there every day. And for me to break up with this guy, they know nothing about his abusiveness. They only know him as the nice guy. And what I'm going to do is if I break up with this guy, it's going to completely rock and disrupt our entire household. I don't know what to do. What do you recommend? Do you understand that there's no easy solution there? There is no, oh, this is what you should do. It's easy. 
You see, the easy solution was left off the table, what, two years ago. When we didn't check in with the Lord about the dude in the first place, when we didn't check in with the Lord on whether or not we should involve our kids into his life, when we didn't check in with the Lord on whether we should move in with this dude, the bottom line is we took easy answer off the table. All we have is hard answers. Is there a right one? Yes. Is it easy? No. But here's my problem with those scenarios, because we're doing them all the time. Here's my problem with that scenario. We get mad at God. Really, God, you're asking me to give up all this stuff? Dude, I never told you to get all that stuff in the first place. You keep telling me it's hard to live for me. You know what? I came to you and I said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you do it my way consistently, there is a simplified version. There is a lighter way to live, not a heavier way to live. I'm not here. Now, don't get me wrong. Being a Christian in a broken world is hard. Here's my point. Why can't it just be hard on the outside and not just on the inside too? Y'all heard this phrase? It's not the water on the outside of a boat that sinks it. It's the water on the inside. See, the world's gonna be broken and messed up and everything, but does the bitterness have to get inside you? Does the sin have to get inside you? Does the messed up decisions have to get inside you? You were built to rise above the difficulty. When you start pulling it into your life, you start sinking the ship and making it go down. We keep putting ourselves into no-win situations, and then what, blame God for it? What we're supposed to do is say, God, I got myself in a jam. I need your strength and your wisdom to walk out of it. That is exactly what a Christian should do, because once again, you're gonna make mistakes. So am I, we're broken people, we're not doing everything right, but when it goes wrong, we gotta be careful on who to blame, yeah? We need to just be calling it on us and saying, Lord, save me. Rescue me from me. All right, now, with this war that this king wants to do against Edom, that's another nation, he wants to go beat them up, it's really a test on whether he's going to be a Christian leader or a, what, secular leader. Is he going to be spiritual or is he going to be secular? How are we going to know that? Is he going to do what God told him to do? Or is he going to do just what he wants to do? Same thing goes for you. How do you run your home? How do you run your work? If you constantly just do what's natural to you, you're a secular leader. If you check in periodically with God, you're a Christian leader. Big difference. Well, sure enough, I'm going to paraphrase how it went. You know how the battle went? It went awesome, at least for the good guys, right? So he leads them into battle. It says he killed 10,000 soldiers of the Edomites on the battlefield. But then it says he captured 10,000 prisoners of war. You know what he did with them? He took them onto a high cliff and shoved them off. Well, that's weird. That's kind of extreme, don't you think? Can't we just kill them another way? Or are we to... Okay, I'm a pretty practical guy, so let's talk through this for a moment right? You're up on a super high cliff. It's got to be a really high cliff, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But here's what happens. How long does it take to shove 10,000 people off a cliff? I would say you got to cancel your plans for the rest of the day. Would you agree? I mean, it's just, and here's the deal. I want to be honest, super fun the first five minutes. Ah, right? That's pretty cool. You're like, whoa, check him out. He did a full flip, right? And then bam, and he hits the ground. And then you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Okay. But then like hour two, that's just stupid. Right? You're still going, oh, oh, oh. You're still shoving people off the cliff. Why are you shoving people off a cliff? This is weird. 
And then at some point, doesn't it create a little pile? Up! Ah, and he just lands. I'm not dead yet, right? That, you have that guy on the top? You're like, shoot, that didn't work out. At some point, it grow, you're like throwing him up on top, right? You just... Okay, what's the point? The point is, that was not really a practical response. That was kind of a mean-hearted response, right? And you're like, hmm, something's wrong with that dude. You know how you can always tell a leader by when things go wrong, their, their true nature comes out? Do you understand you can still tell a leader's nature when things go well? How do they handle the win? Are they gloating? Are they extra nasty to their opponent? How do they handle the win? Because that reveals something about their heart as well. Something is off about this guy. Hmm, interesting. Now, there's always a benefit. God is good at redemption. There's always a benefit to following the Lord, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Yeah? All right, it says in verse 14, after Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites in his big win, he brought the gods of the men of Edom and set them up as his gods and worshiped them, making offerings to them. Is that a good idea? Nope. Therefore, the Lord was angry with Amaziah and sent to him a prophet. Oh, here comes another one who said to him, why have you sought the gods of a people who didn't deliver their own people from you? But as he was speaking, the king said to him, what did we make you a royal counselor? Stop talking. Why do you need to be struck down? So the prophet stopped talking, but he said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you did this and you haven't listened to my counsel. Okay, what did he just do? It's here's the mindset of the day. Now, whether or not you can call it superstition or whatever, they were really into this. They believed that whatever God you served protected you. So if you beat up another army and you won, your gods were bigger than their gods. Now, why in the world, after you beat them, do you want to take their gods and make it your own? Doesn't that sound kind of silly? It is silly, but maybe they have the idea of an and. I can have God and I can get a little extra power, right? Big problem there. Here's what's intriguing about that, that whole fight. You look back and you go, man, those ancient people, wow, they're dumb. We're doing the same thing. Let's use this example. Let's say you're talking to a friend who does not know Jesus Christ yet. They're not a Christian. They don't know anything about this. And you're trying to tell them what it requires. And so you're, the first thing you're going to tell them is say, hey, I know you've totally lived your own life for you. And that was all you knew at the time. But I'm trying to tell you that there's a different way, that Jesus can be your Lord and Savior. What that would mean is that you got to surrender you and give your life over to him. What did you just tell him to do? You should probably stop being selfish and give your life to Jesus. Then you say, oh, and there's a bunch of things that you're focused on, like money and materialism and all that stuff, that ultimately God's going to want to renew in your life. And he's going to want to root out little by little as he makes you a new person. Isn't this what we're going to say? Here's the great irony. We're saved and we're what? Getting all into the money and all into the materialism and doing everything we just told them that they needed to get out of. We are leaning back into the very same things we got saved out of. How does that make any sense? It didn't work for us before Jesus, so why would we want to go get more of it? Hey, I came out of a, a life of drugs, and now I'm following the Lord, and he saved me. Man, drugs are sure tempting. 
No, no, no. It didn't work last time, but yet now we're tempted to have it again? Y'all, I'm always blown away at my attraction towards sin because it seems theoretically and hypothetically totally dumb. Shouldn't I be able to see right through it and go, that's not going to bless me. It's going to leave me empty, and yet I still long for it. What is wrong with me? Y'all know what I'm talking about? What I pray for is, Lord, can you fill up my heart so much that sin just pales in comparison, that it's no longer interesting to me? I don't know if he'll answer all that fully here in this life, but it'd sure be nice, right? What's, what's interesting if the world, if it doesn't work for the world, why are we so interested in it? Hmm. We still have temptations there. All right, last thing that I want to say about that, that point was last time he was corrected by a man of God, he changed his plans. This time he doesn't. What's the difference? I don't know. I do know one thing that's different. He's older. Does that have something to do with it? He has more life experience? Because the first time he was like, you're right, I'm wrong, and he lets the people go. This time he was thinking, yeah, I'm not doing that, and if you don't shut it down, I'm going to hurt you. What changed? Maybe living a little bit? Okay, so here's a question for you. As you get older, are you getting more soft-hearted or hard-hearted? Because here's what the sitcoms are based on, right? We have a million TV shows about this. The older you get, what? You get more grumpy and curmudgeon and you start hating everything, and everybody in the world is stupider, and, right? I mean, isn't this how this works? And is that you? Because here's some people that I've met in this church. There are some people in this church that are older than me. I know, shocker. <laughs> I'm sure it's just a year or two. But I've met some that are in their 70s, and they say this phrase to me when I get done with a message. Hey, pastor, that was an awesome message. That was really, really convicting. And I'm like, I really need to go home, and I really need to think about that. Do you understand what happens when I hear that from somebody in their 70s? my respect level skyrockets. Why? Because I want to be just like them. That you're telling me that as you continue to accelerate in life, you're accelerating in a moldable fashion where God is still transforming you day by day. And I look and I go, whoa, if I'm already starting to get hard-hearted at 47, what am I going to do later on? And I start looking at that as a role model. I start looking at that as, wow, I want that. I want that constant soft-heartedness. Lord, until you take me to heaven, I will consistently grow in my transformation in Jesus. Y'all following me? That to me is so moving. It's so powerful. I, I, okay, so let's, I'm not telling you to live naive. Not Tony, oh, la, 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 Pollyanna stuff. Here's what I'm, okay, let's just be real clear, right? The world's getting stupider, cool. Y'all good now? The world's getting stupider, but, but here's the deal. Then why does that bitterness have to get in you? If things are broken outside, why do they have to break inside? Like, why can't we just call it what it is and say things are broken on the outside, but I have the joy of the Lord in my heart? That that garbage can't get in here. And I will live vibrant, I will live alive, I will live soft before the Lord, no matter how much the world falls apart. Shouldn't we be that person? I think that's a wise way to live. All right, I'm going to uh, finish out by paraphrasing the last story, just for time's sake. So Amaziah is so fired up from winning over his Edom war, he thinks he's big and bad. So he decides he's going to take on a bigger foe, the north. 
Now, remember, those guys raided his place, and he's angry at them, so he's like, I'm going to go fight the north. Now, real quick, I've already shared with you in the past, I'm not good at math. Need a little help here. You ready? That there are 12 tribes of Israel, two are in the south. That leaves how many? Ten? Can I get a verification? <laughs> right? Ten. All right, good. Two times what equals ten? Five. So theoretically, the north is five times bigger and more powerful than the south. And yet the south is going to pick a fight with the north because they're, what, big and bad now? And they're going to go fight them. How do you think that's going to go? So sure enough, the king of the south sends a note to the king of the north and says, dude, you and I need to meet. We got to have this out. We need to hash out our problems. We need to fight. You know what the North does? This is awesome. He does it in a very poetic, insulting way. He fires back a letter to him and he goes, hey, little buddy, I got a story for you. A little stick wanted to come talk to a big cedar tree, but on the way he got run over by an animal. Oh, that's a bummer. Dude, stay home. We don't need to be fighting here. I don't want to fight you. You certainly don't want to fight me. I will crush you. On your best day, you are nothing but a flea in my world. So shut it down and stay home. The Bible says, but Amaziah would not listen to reason. And he starts the fight. You know what happened? Here you go. Got crushed. As a matter of fact, they came down, beat down all of his army, pulled him as a prisoner of war into captivity, into prison, stormed through, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, the ancient holy city, went in, looted his entire palace, and stole all the good stuff that his father had put in the temple. All God's stuff got stolen out too. Way to go, buddy. He eventually gets out of prison once that king dies. He gets out of prison, tries to go home, finds out there's an assassination attempt for him, hides in another city. They find him and kill him, and ta-da, he's done. Way to end, dude. Started out, woo, just like his dad. Guess what? If you read the story about his son, guess what happens? Same exact thing. Pattern. Generational pattern. Do you have any of those going on in your world? Because here's what's interesting. There are some of you I want to give credit to right now. There are some of you that said the pattern of my family history stops with me. Uh, history of alcoholism, I'm not doing it. History of drugs, not going to happen in my, in my world. History of divorce, my marriage, I'm going to work on it extra hard. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those of you that have made that determination, it's hard. There's a reason why there was that pattern in your family but you decided to do it different. And I just want to give you props. I just want to say well done to try to make a difference. That's pretty powerful. But here's what's interesting about all this stuff. Why do you think he would attack the North? What a, what a dumb move. You knew you were going to get crushed. Why would you do that? Because of what? Arrogance. He just won really big, but who gave him the victory? God did. So what is he arrogant about? Okay, let's make it personal again. The idea of a human being being arrogant is silly, right? I believe very, very strongly in the concept of humility. And you're like, well, Lance, you're pretty loud. I got gotcha. you. Hold on. I believe in confident humility. And here's what I mean. 
I don't think the idea of humiliating yourself and, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I don't think that is appropriate to the Lord. Quite frankly, I think God has made you beautiful and powerful and wonderful, and I think you're allowed to praise him for that. But here's my point. You're not God, and you're never gonna be God. So should you be proud of yourself? Yep, proud of what God made in you. But to be arrogant doesn't even make any sense. It's kind of like this. Y'all know the story if you have little guys in your life, and uh, I've had to do this with friends' kids because I, I, have, I have girls, and so it was, it was a little different for me. But you know the story where you get the little guy, and he's like, he's like Dad, Dad, I want to throw the basketball in the hoop. And so you lift him over your head as high as you can, and you get him all the way up, and he barely can push the ball over, and it goes in the hoop. Can you imagine that little kid going back to school talking about how he dunks? Yeah, that's arrogance of a human being. You're like, dude, I'm not buying that because here's the deal, I'm a self-made man. I came from nothing, my family had nothing, and now I am technically a millionaire. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, I'm the one that made the hard work, so don't tell me that somebody else helped me out. Well, let me tell you a story. A month and a half ago, my mother-in-law had a stroke, right? I desperately love her and praise God she is on the mend. And it's, things are going to work out. She had, a, she had a brain bleed six years ago, too. And God pulled her back together. But she had to learn how to walk again. Very briefly, but she had to learn. She had to learn how to dial in her thoughts. She had to learn how to reconnect things within her body. And you're telling me that life isn't fragile? You're telling me, well, that doesn't remind me of my dad dying last year? It doesn't remind me that he had glioblastoma? You know what you can do to protect yourself from brain bleeds? Nothing. You know what you can do to protect yourself from glioblastoma in that way? Nothing. It's on God or it's not at all. So this whole business about how we're self-made people and we did all the work, the only reason you have health at all is the grace of God. And this whole business about you had creative ideas and you're brilliant, God gave you that intelligence. You have an aneurysm, suddenly that's gone. So this idea that, oh, I made it, I, it's all mine, it's all about me. No, it's not. God just lifted you up and you made a basket. Why? Because he loves you. So please, there's no room for arrogance. We are not God and we never will be. Hmm. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? The prayer team come on up here. Um, the arrogance that he would go fight because of victories that God gave him, that's where pride comes from. It's what happened to Lucifer. He was so beautiful and stunning, he got overwhelmed by his own press, and he became Satan. We just don't want to be that. Mm -hmm. Y'all, we don't want to start well and end poorly, and the difference is whether or not we follow the Lord with our whole heart. If you're taking notes, remember to write down those two words, absolute allegiance absolute allegiance why because the difference between a good king a bad king and a complicated king is what a divided heart please dismiss the and when it comes to god as you walk through your life ask every question who am i following right now who's calling the shots right now who's determining the trajectory of my life is it god or is it me is it someone else? Is it a concept, a system? Because until we have absolute allegiance to Jesus, we'll never fully be what he built us to be.
We'll never be able to use all of our gifts rightly. We'll never have the full joy and peace that he designed. We'll never have the future that he set up. Absolute allegiance that said, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not what? Lord at all. There's some allegiance issues and questions we have to solve in our lives.